Well, so good to be here again. I want to invite you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. That's in the first third of your Bible in the Old Testament. 1 Kings chapter 19. I also want to draw your attention to these communion packs over here at this table. We'll be receiving communion if you're a follower of Jesus at the end of our time together. I want to point those out if you need to grab those. Now would be a good time. Otherwise, join me in 1 Kings chapter 19. Last week, during Mother's Day weekend, we looked at the God who sees. God sees an unseen woman who is stuck in a mess. And she was the patron saint of that needlepoint in your grandma's southern kitchen that said, Bless this mess. God saw this woman who was unseen by so many others, but he blessed her in the midst of a mess and in spite of a mess, the God who sees. This week, we're going to look at the God who speaks. And Lord willing, next week with our seniors in focus, we'll be looking at the God who leads. But tonight, the God who speaks. He speaks to Elijah, who's a man at the end of his rope. And just a little bit of background before we dive into chapter 19. Elijah was fresh off of a famous showdown with the priests of Baal. Even if you haven't really been in church or read the Old Testament in a while, you probably know the story where Elijah, who is sick and tired of God's people Israel, chasing after Queen Jezebel's god Baal, and he says, enough is enough, and he goes up to the king and he says, your priests and me, they get an altar, I get an altar. They call on their god, and I'll call on mine. And Elijah, because he's some tough customer, decides to really make a show of it. So even though there's like, a ton of priests of the other one. He's like, just me, thanks. And they do this big clamor and this big show of it, calling out, send fire, send this, take this offering, and crickets. Nothing happens. But because Elijah's a showman, he's going to say, bring me some water, and then bring me some more water, and then bring me more water on top of that. And he drenches the altar, and then he goes, watch this. I don't know if he said watch this, but effectively, that's what he means. Because he wants God not just to show up, but to show out and to come in power and fire and to accept this offering. And God does. It's crickets with the priests of Baal, but it's this powerful display of God for Elijah. So Elijah is fresh off of this showdown, feeling pretty good. And because it's the Old Testament, (laughs) what happens is he's going to also take it a step further and have all those priests executed. Just so the memo goes out to all the kingdom that these guys are fakers and God is real, he also just wipes them off the face of the map. Well, their queen, Jezebel, who had a shine for Baal, and these priests, she's like, that's it. As God is my witness, Elijah You're toast. You're done. So Elijah effectively just wins the Super Bowl. And he's feeling confident and fearless. Watch this. Drown this altar. 
That's how he's feeling one day. And now he's running for his life and feeling depressed and fearful the next day. But we wouldn't know anything about that in our lives, would we? Because when we have a success at work or in our life or we're feeling just on top of the mountain on a Monday, we would never come back down to earth and feel fearful and worried the next, right? Okay, maybe it's just me. We've all been there, haven't we? And many of us in this room can raise our hands and say, here's how God showed up and showed out this week. Just the fact that I'm sitting here right now is a miracle and a gift. Thank you, God. This is amazing. But that doesn't mean that we won't feel fearful and worried next week. We've been there. We've seen God's goodness. We've seen God's grace. We've seen God's power. But fear, struggle, sadness creep in and has a way of clouding and narrowing our focus. Amen? Fear has a way of doing that. That's when we need a word of encouragement, of love, of reminding from the God who speaks. But this is an instructive passage because Elijah, though he needs a word from the God who speaks, you need to know now, He's not going to speak when and how Elijah expects. And the sooner we understand this as God's people today, who still live in the mountains and the valleys, the more apt for the journey we'll be. 1 Kings 19, that gets us up to speed. Let's see what's up with old Elijah after his Super Bowl victory. Now Ahab, who's the king, told Jezebel, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. You know, get what she's laying down there? Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And he said, you're better off here, while he himself went a day's journey further into the dry, dusty wilderness. He came to a broom bush, and he sat down under it and prayed that he might die. This is a man at the end of his rope, yes? Here's his prayer. You ready for this prayer? This hero and saint of God? I have had enough. How many of you have prayed an I've had enough prayer at one point in your life? Can I just pause real quick and tell you, good on you, you've got full-blown permission to bring it. If Elijah can do it, we can do it. We'll return to that in a moment. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. This man needed a nap. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Basically, you're going to need something 
to get going. So he got up and he ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Pause. What's another name for Horeb? Mount Sinai. What was Mount Sinai about? This is where Moses received the Ten Commandments. This is where Moses was hidden in the cleft of the rock and connected with God. There's Moses stuff happening here. This man, 40 days and 40 nights. There's something pivotal at work here. And God's like, let me go and meet you at that mountain where I love to meet my people who need to hear a word of encouragement to send them into the next season. That's where he's headed. By the way, Horeb is a word that means dry. God sends him to the dry place. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Here's the famous portion of the story. And the word of the Lord came to him as a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Pause. How many of you had a, what's up? I'll tell you what's up, and you drop the laundry list and the kitchen sink on God. Raise your hand if you've ever had one of those prayers. Where are you, my child? I'll tell you where I am. And what's remarkable about this, and I'll say it now because I don't know if I'll remember to say it in a minute. He says, I am the only one left. If you've been reading and hearing the story in 1 Kings, in chapter 18, there's a man named Obadiah who has been sheltering a hundred prophets, just like the Holocaust. We have a guy sheltering the faithful Jews so they don't get murdered for being Jews and prophets and holy people. So in 18, Elijah is aware of a hundred other peers. They're just not next to him. They're just not with him. I think this is how fear and pain and struggle narrows our focus because we forget what we actually know. We feel alone, but the fact is that we're not alone. But the danger is when these thoughts come, and they will come, they're like trying to breach a wall in your head and in your heart. And so the discipline here, and this is what prayer helps us with, is when they are storming the castle and trying to breach the wall, it's not if they come, they will come. The, 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 the next part is, okay, well, what do you do when they get over the wall? And that's where we need to be grounded and reminded and listen and be attentive because Maybe you feel like you're the only one, but hopefully you get to a point where you can pause and breathe and be reminded by God or by the people around you, hey, 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 I know it feels that way, but it's not that way. Nobody can tell you what to feel, but I'm here to tell you a fact. You may feel alone, but you're not alone. This is where Elijah's at. He's at the end of his rope, and he's pleading his case to God who hears, but we also see he's a God who speaks. Verse 11, the Lord said, go. The Lord said, go. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. 
for the Lord is about to pass by. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. Guess what? But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. God's got his attention now and he leans in to that still, small voice. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here? Elijah. And then Elijah says the same thing. (laughs) I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He prays the same prayer. But I wonder if this time at the mouth of the cave, if it's taken on a different quality, a different attentiveness, a different vibe. There's something in the air that's different now, and God will speak to him again. This time he says, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. This is a God who speaks. He goes on to tell him some more step-by-step instructions. But what I want to do in the moments that we have left is give you several ideas. Because what we're going to talk about is something you really can't think your way into. It's not something you can really read your way into. It's something like Elijah, you're going to have to just stand at attention and lean into. And these ideas might help you, but they can't do it for you. So I'm going to give you some observations, some ideas in the time we have together. But my serious intent is that you whether you're at the end of your rope or the halfway mark of your rope, will follow Elijah's lead and put it all out there before God and lean in for the whisper of the God who speaks. Let's get into it. First, I want to show you a picture that I took a couple weeks ago. This is a plaque of a quote from a conservationist in the 1800s named John Burroughs. Do you see what it says? This was on the wall of the retreat center that I was staying in for a silent retreat. John Burroughs writes, I come here often to find myself. It is so easy to get lost in the world. Elijah lost himself. He's depressed. He's given up. He feels completely alone. What gets you lost? 
For Elijah, it was a hit. Jezebel put a hit on him. I hope none of you have hits out on you right now. But what is it for you that totally knocks you sideways and you just feel completely unmoored? Do you know that word? I have drifted a long way off. Here's another question. What is it that helps you get found? For John Burroughs, it was to get under some trees and out in nature, and it helped him to recenter himself. What is it for you in your life with God? What's the thing that brings you back home? See, Elijah lost himself, but God sends Elijah to a place to be found again. Did you notice how God met him, and the angel gave him food, but but it was really just one step that leads to many steps. It was a pilgrimage he sent him on. And it was somewhere along the way, I got to believe that Elijah's flight turned into a retreat. By the time he got to Horeb, it didn't feel like he's on the lamb in some motel on a nondescript, off-the-grid place. All of a sudden, it didn't feel like he was on the run. It felt like he was coming back home. And this is what needs to happen. That step zero that I was talking about during our prayer time, this is that subtle shift where you finally get to a place where you say, I was lost, but here I am. I'm paying attention. Here's our first big idea. We can't control how God speaks. But we can put ourselves into a position to listen. I've told the story in this church ad nauseum. I won't say it again except to remind you of it. The story where a man that was in one of our small groups as a new Christian asked our small group and said, it's hard to hear God. I keep talking and hearing about hearing God. Can you ask God to like give me some subtitles? And somebody in our group before this pastor opened his mouth and ruined the moment, somebody spoke up and said, maybe we don't pray for God to give us subtitles. Maybe God is inviting us to turn the volume down in our world. And that's the difference. That's what's in view here. We can't control how God speaks. We can't control the noise in our heads and in the world. But we can put ourselves into a position to say, okay, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm listening. In repentance and rest, Isaiah 30, is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. So once you're in a posture, a position to listen, the question doesn't become, okay, God, are you speaking? The more important question is, am I actually listening? Or am I blowing through my week? Am I blowing through my morning routine so fast and it's so loud that I actually have left God in the dust? But God draws Elijah, who has lost himself, lost something within him that kept him going. God draws him, and he gets to the mountain, he gets to the cave, he gets into a position where he says, all right, here I am, what do you got? Elijah needs a word to remind him that he's not alone, like we said earlier, and that there is a way forward. One of the things he says in his complaint against God is like, I'm no better than my ancestors. How many of you have felt like, is what I'm doing and who I am even registering? Does it even matter? What in the world am I here for? Elijah, one of God's greatest heroes of the faith, 
felt that way too. He needed to get into a position to be reminded that you're not alone and that God is not done. Because it's hard to hear the voice of the one who calls us and sends us and speaks to us as a beloved child. It's hard to hear that voice when our fears and worries are drowning it out. When fear and worry is narrowing your focus, that is a dead giveaway that it's time to repent and to bring yourself to a place of quiet trust and rest. Even when our impulse is to get on our horse and go make something happen. You with me? This is what Elijah is teaching us. And when he gets there to the cave, I want to say this next big idea And I wonder if you think it's true. You see it? Hearing God, I think, is both simpler than we often make it, and it's deeper than we often admit. It's more mysterious. That's why we struggle to define it. I wish I had a dollar for every moment this week when I was picking away at these slides that I was like, let me define hearing God. What's hearing God? How do, uh, let's do, and I just thought, man, every time I, I, I tried, it felt wrong. Because I think we need to understand too that God has a relationship with all of us as a collective, but he also has a relationship with every one of us. And if you're parenting an 18-year-old boy and a two-year-old little girl, you probably talk to them differently. And that's okay. Does it change the fact that you're still a parent to them? Hearing God, I think, then is simpler and deeper. I think we tend to overcomplicate it. We tend to overexpect it. We want the audible voice right now when I need it. I'm on the retreat. Hey, I'm in the cave. Hey, I came and took a half day off work. Or hey, in October, guess what? Neighborhood church, we're going to have a retreat. We're going to have a create space retreat. So start getting your God coins in the vending machine because you better need them to show up in October, but also sign up and come. It's going to be a great time and God will talk to you. Maybe we overexpect. Maybe we overcomplicate. And maybe it's simpler and it's deeper, and it's really the sense of intuition of the Holy Spirit within us, but we explain it away. Maybe it's because the world around us is too noisy. We've been going too quick. God's trying to bring us to a cave to get us to lean in. Sure, bring your whole self. Sure, bring the kitchen sink. But just bring yourself and sit. Step zero, turn the volume down. Be still. God is a friend of silence. This is what the mystics and teachers have taught us for 2,000 years. And then as evangelicals in America, we somehow have just cut that off and said, nope. I'm telling you, for 2,000 years and even beyond in the Jewish school of thought, 
prayer was so much more about chewing on it, listening to it, sitting with it, than what we've made in our noise-saturated, media-saturated world. And I'm calling you back to what you already know. God is a friend of silence, and He's waiting to be gracious to you, but man, we make it hard to be refilled when we're holding the cup of tea all like this. How do we hear from God The answers might be different for many of you, but you know it already. How do you hear from God? When you're attentive and that person sitting across from you at coffee says something that stops you dead in your tracks and hits you in the heart. How do you hear from God? You know it. When you're reading the passage and some word or phrase leaps off the page and just burrows its way into your head and your heart. How do you hear from God? You know it. It's simpler and deeper. It's that thing that's nagging at you, tugging at you, pulling at you, either sending you away from disaster or sending you to your neighbor. You know this. It's just a matter of discipline. So let's continue our story for the next few moments. I want to run through several observations. Here's the first slide. As I mentioned before, you need to understand you have permission to bring your whole selves to God. That's what Elijah does. I'm done. I'm depressed. I'm alone. Nothing I do matters. God can handle it. You can, you must bring your whole self to God. The second thing I need you to understand is that prayer is less about getting God to do what we want and more about becoming who God wants us to be. Isn't it a gift for Elijah that God didn't give him what he wanted? What did he want? Take my life. I'm done. I'm just going to nap under this broom tree. I'm cool if I don't wake up. I don't want to minimize the despair and the depression and the darkness that he was engaged in. There are people in our life, there are people in our world that are in a difficult and desperate place that we need not minimize or explain away. And I pray that those people in our lives that God reaches down and finds them. The Psalms are full of the God who loves to hang out in the dark abyss because he loves to try to nudge and remind and whisper to these people. And I just need you to understand that sometimes it's a gift that he doesn't give us what we want. I'm glad that he didn't give Elijah what he wanted. I'm glad when our friends who are in a dark place live to see another day. God woke them up. God brought them along. And God is probably bringing you to their side. So we got to understand that it's less about giving God to do what we want. Because sometimes when we're angry, we pray angry prayers. Sometimes when we're sad, we pray sad prayers. The Psalms are full of prayers that you may not want to say yes and amen to. But the real They're their whole selves. And I need you to understand, in Elijah's situation, when the angel comes, guess what? He didn't remove Jezebel from the situation. Did you notice this? Guess what? Elijah didn't magically appear in some palace and everything's awesome now. God didn't fix it, but God gave him enough for the next step. Did you hear this? God may not have fixed whatever you want him and are begging and demanding he do. God may not have fixed it, but I bet your bottom dollar he's going to give you what you need for the next step. And for Elijah, it was bread and water and a word to send him away. I love this next observation. God loves asking questions. 
Remember when I said Elijah told him the same thing? God did too. Look at your Bibles if you still have it open on your phone or in your Bible. You'll see the same question in two verses. At the end of verse 9 and at the end of verse 13. God asked him a question. How many of you feel like God has asked you a question? I'll be honest with you. I feel like God is asking our church a question that I'm still reckoning with. And it's a question he's still asking me. And I'm trying to wrestle with it and sort it out. I think God loves to ask questions because questions send us on a journey, a quest of discovery and understanding. He asks the same question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Which is a way of saying, I didn't send you here. But understand this. This is important. God may not have sent him here, but here is where God will meet him. Where, where are you, man? What are you doing? It may not be where I sent you, but it's where I'll meet you. And he's going to give him enough for the next step. And now to the famous portion. He wasn't in the thunder. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. And so that leads us to the second round of observations Oh, I skipped it. But yeah, this one in the middle. No, you're right. I'm wrong. The when and how of God's movement is often not what we expect. It wasn't in the wind. It wasn't in the fire. It wasn't in the thunder. It was in what? The whisper. It's so important to know what God's not saying also. Just as important as it is to understand what God might be saying, what God might be asking, it's just as important to know what God's not saying. Do you know what I mean? If it feels like shame, that's not God. There's a difference between calling out and a finger pointing downward versus what the Holy Spirit does, and that's calling you up. It's the difference between Shame is this, and what God does in conviction is arm around the shoulder lifting you up, and there's a next step to take. If it's a step away from God and neighbor, you are not listening to God. But if it's a step toward love and life and even difficulty... Because later, God will send him back into a difficult situation. God will send him to other people. God gives him explicit instructions to pass on his mantle, literally and physically, to others. But God is still in it. It doesn't mean it's easy. God's, God is probably calling you to something super hard. But when God calls you to something super hard, it's because he's forming you. Because it's less about getting God to do what you want and more about you becoming who God wants and loves and longs for. He meets you here, but he's calling you up because he wants you to go there also. And Elijah's able to understand this because of what Eugene Peterson said, prayer is a soul at attention before God. He's at the mouth of the cave. He's leaning in. God said, hey, pay attention. Be present. Lean in. Go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for I'm about to pass by. 
even though it's not when and how I expect, he was able to discern where is not God before he's able to discern where is God moving. So he's leaning in, he's listening, and finally that last observation on that slide, God seems to repeat himself until we get it. I'll tell you a quick story, a quote, a few questions, and we're done. I remember having an encounter with God, a mountaintop encounter, and I started to weave in some times of stillness in my ordinary life, trying to lean in. And I kept hearing this word of like, you're my beloved child whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. Because God often uses scripture to impress something and speak something into our being. And I would sit there and go, mm, yeah, yeah. And I'd write it in my journal and I'd go away. And then I'd go sit at some Catholic church in the middle of my day again. And I'd sit down and I'd try to be still and listen. I'd give him the kitchen sink and then I'd be still. And then I'd hear, you're my beloved son whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. I'm like, yep, mm-hmm, yeah, next. And then just nothing. And I'd sit and I'd try to be all spiritual because I'm a pastor now and I've got to, you know, bring a, bring a message and have a good observation and a good story. And so then I'd go back the next day, and it was the same thing, the same thing. And I just feel like that was teaching me over the period of many months that if you don't get that right, if you don't embody it, he's just going to keep repeating it. Because you can't move on to 201 unless you get course 101, that you are beloved, and you've got to understand who you are. I wanted to move forward. I wanted to keep going. And God kept repeating until I got it in my bones. So much of what we hear preached, so much of we, what we read is a rumor. It's something we think we, is there. But what God wants is to get it in your muscle. He wants it lived out. Our faith and what we're hearing is not just to be believed. It's meant to be lived And I love what Karl Barth says in prayer. To clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Elijah comes to God with disorder in his head and his heart and his life. And God brings him to a place of quietness and prayer. Elijah will go into a disordered world with work to be done. But whatever you are stepping out of or whatever you're stepping into, it must always be from a place of step zero to clasp the hands, to listen to the God who speaks. So what's the disorder that prayer needs to rise against? Is there some disorder in your head, your heart, your life. I think so often if we resolve to pray and talk to God about it, a fraction of how much we talk to others about it, perhaps our perspective in our lives would look different. So what's the disorder you're invited to rise against in prayer? Second, where is your cave this week? Where's the place that God's inviting you to, sending you to, where he's longing to be gracious to you? How often are you going to meet him at the cave? Where is your cave? Is it on your way to work? 
Are you vibing with that Lectio 365 app that's a 10-minute cave that has been a life-giving thing for many of us in the morning and in the evening? Lectio 365? Is it just five minutes like we did in January? Set the timer, be still, try to become present to God's presence. Maybe for you it's literally three minutes and it's those breath prayers we did during our prayer time. Where is it? What is it? When is it? You don't make, if you don't make time, you'll never find it. Finally, is there anything that you've been hearing, sensing, remembering? Emma had a difficult time going to sleep one of these nights. So I was up there with her and we were praying those same breath prayers that we were praying earlier. And I was just rubbing her hair, trying to get her to calm down, trying to get her in stillness, because sometimes her thoughts just race and it's too hard for her. She gets overwhelmed. And I asked her this question. I went out on a limb and I said, is there something or anything you're like feeling or sensing or wondering about with God? Because we had been praying And she said, I feel like that he loves me. And I said, how? She said, because I'm imagining that he's giving me a hug right now. And it's that kind of moment, that kind of sensing, that you just stop at the mouth of the cave and say, this sounds like God. It's a still, small voice, but that sounds exactly like something he would say. And even though it wasn't fixed in that moment, it was just enough light, just enough for the next step. And it happened in a quiet moment of a soul at attention. It was simpler and it was deeper, but it was from a God who speaks. Amen and amen. The one who spoke so long ago is still speaking. May you listen this week. The one who moved over the chaos is still moving. May you see him this week. The one who walked the dusty roads of Galilee is still walking. May you follow him this week. May we have the courage to go wherever and to whomever the Holy Spirit leads us, trusting that God will prepare the way and that goodness and mercy will follow us close behind. Go in peace with open eyes, open hearts, and open ears to love and serve God and neighbor.